Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe. Hit your free throws because they are free. Fisher, Topless, DJ, Nikki, Snacks, Kreider in there. I switched to my microphone beautifully. Fisher to Topless, DJ, Nikki, Snacks, Kreider. Baseball is well underway. Otani could sign this week. The NBA in-season tournament starts tonight. The semifinals in Vegas. I got my C's hat on. We played the Pacers. But the biggest news of the week, maybe some of the biggest news of the entire year, the only thing not the biggest is our guest today. We have to talk the college football playoff committee Joe DeLeon, welcome to the show. You guys know him from Rafino and Joe, and he's a great job covering college football. It's a pleasure joining us, man. December. took It took until uh, December to get me on the show. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, I mean, it's the best timing. This is crazy how everything turned out. It was such an unexpected outcome with uh, two of the four teams. And I mean, I'd, I'd even argue three. Nobody thought that Washington was going to win, but it's exciting. I'm juiced up. The outcome of what we're going to get is going to be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I and I want to. We'll go around the horn, Joe. We'll start with you since you're our guest. Nick, you'll get second word, toss third, and I'll close this out. Did the committee get it right? I think that they were put in an incredibly difficult situation. I, I think that no matter what, there wasn't necessarily a right answer purely because Alabama won. If Alabama didn't win, I don't think there'd be any discussion. I think Florida State would have inevitably ended up getting in, possibly over Texas. But what ends up happening here is because you have to justify putting Alabama in the SEC champion, which makes sense. They play in a very different, difficult conference. If you're going to do that, you have to put Texas in because then the whole argument becomes even more convoluted, not putting the team that beat Alabama, who's the SEC champion, in. So, yeah, I think justifiably they made the right choice. On top of that, Florida State would not have given us a very exciting game. As much as I think that they deserved it and them going 13-0 and is – a massive accomplishment and winning their conference with a third string quarterback. There were just too many question marks. The last thing that they wanted was another TCU and Mm. for them to get smoked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nick. Yeah. I mean, exactly what Joe just said. Then the day, if Florida state has Jordan Travis all season long, he doesn't get hurt. Maybe we're talking about a different scenario here, but they do have inside the criteria and it's very vague, but key players slash coaches availability. So if, you know, their star quarterback, which is the most important position on the field, is a third string and then maybe a second string, then you can't put them in there. And I texted you guys during the game when I think it was like, I think they had maybe a touchdown or something like that. Maybe mm-hmm. it was like seven to three or six to three. And I said, if they can't score more than 14 points in this game, there's no way they're getting into the college football playoff. Yeah, they didn't. They scored 13 points and they got left out. And it is a travesty because, you know, you imagine if you're a conference champion, you go undefeated in a power five, then you should probably get in. But I just feel like you can't deny the season that Bama has put together. And you can't deny the season that Texas has put together. And uh, at the end of the day, I think this is the right decision. It's definitely the most exciting matchup that we'll see in the college football playoff. I imagine that these spreads are probably the closest that they would have been. 
if Florida State was in there, you might have gotten a double-digit spread on one of these games, and mm-hmm. they don't want that whatsoever. So, yeah, I think this is the right choice. Nice toss. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I will say it's a lot easier to agree with that being a Texas Longhorn fan than it would be if I were a Florida State Seminole fan. Yes. And I think they are completely justified in voicing – their frustrations and their anger towards the committee. Um, <clears throat> I don't, I think it's an imperfect system. That's why it's going to the 12th team. And I think we'll be in better hands. Um, and you can get, you can, you can have things laid out in a way that makes sense for everyone that will be involved going forward. I mean, you look at March madness, right? Mm-hmm. If you win your conference, you are guaranteed a spot to compete in the NCAA tournament. And we have five power, five, power conferences right in college football and we have four slots available so they honestly should have done themselves a favor and when they first established the committee said the like we can deem one of the conferences the worst power five which the acc would have been this year just in in regards to if you look top to bottom at the conference like and then you were talking about fsu if they would have been in the, the college football playoff like what the lines would be and part of that is obviously because they don't have Jordan Travis. Because I believe if they had Jordan Travis, th- they would be as good as any of the teams that are in there. Maybe not the, the outright favorite, but a competitive team that could have beat any of the four teams that are in there right now. Because um, I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. But I, I think as far as product that I get to watch in the semifinals and in the college football final, um, it's the four right teams. And it's the combination, right, of like the deserved, but also... Um, the the outcome that we're projecting as well. I mean, I get the criticisms that it's like it's more like a beauty pageant now. It's it's more like uh, <clears throat> it's more like the Olympics, right? It's more like figure skating than it is. Okay, if you win thirteen games, you're automatically getting in. I get all of the criticisms, but I still do believe that that these four teams not only will will be the best games, but also will get them the most money. And the college football playoff is a business, is an entity, and that is something that they are looking at is putting as many people in front of screens, getting as many people to these venues um, for the bowl games. Then of course, for the final in Houston and, and these four teams get that done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you hit one of the points that I wanted to touch on. They should have had it from the jump as six teams. If we have these power five conferences, there was always going to be a power five champion in the scenario being left out. And ultimately you have, you have to put the best four teams in. And right now, Alabama, Texas, and Washington and Michigan are the best four teams based off what we saw from FSU against Louisville on Saturday night. Had, had FSU come out and they dropped 30 something points. And I know they played a really good game defensively, Joe. I can feel you maybe kind of trying yeah. to jump in there and say that they did play a really strong game defensively. They did. So I think you have to give credit where credit's due, but ultimately the uncertainty with their second string quarterback, no Jordan Travis, who had he played. And when he took, look, FSU beat two SEC teams this year. There's point blank. They beat LSU and they beat Florida. So that has to help their resume. I know their strength of schedule was considered the weakest, but they still beat those two. And they beat the guy who's probably going to win the Heisman Trophy pretty handily and maybe gave him his toughest game all he had all season. So that has to count for something. Jordan Travis obviously had that devastating tweet. I was going to throw it up here, but I think with our little overlay, it'll get messed up. Uh, you know, saying he wish he got hurt earlier, which was so sad to see and, and heartbreaking to hear. So the, the, uh, you, that everyone could see how many good players this team has because the running backs are great. The receivers are great. Jared Verse is going to be a top 15 pick probably. And he's their edge guy. 
they have a lot of talent and Norvell's a really head is a great head coach and you know what he did his job but ultimately it somewhat is a beauty pageant it's not like okay you beat them so you're in ahead of them like there were still questions that we had like had we not had a really dominant win over oklahoma state bama could have jumped us after beating georgia you know that was not likely but it was still a possibility this is an opinion this is an opinion based piece that's what this is and in their opinion, they put the teams that are, like you guys said, going to get the best ratings, the closest spreads, like you said, Nick, and ultimately give fans really close games. They just didn't know whether or not Michigan would bomb FSU, and they couldn't risk that because I mean, of what's happened in years past. You want to look at what the spread is right now for the Georgia game they're playing. It's already at 14 points. Georgia's here by 14 points in, in a game that's not even a playoff game. And well, they're the sixth. Keon Coleman opted out of that dose already. And I'm sure that Trey Benson and Johnny Wilson and Jaheim Bell, a lot of those guys are probably going to opt out, which is going to lead to that being probably more than 14 points. But yeah, to your point, that's already not a great look. I, I want to throw this out there, though. I really think that if, if they didn't have to go with Brock Glenn, who that kid had never had no intention of playing a game at Florida State in his life, there, there was no chance that that kid was ever going to have to start a game. Maybe he gets some relief snaps like he did this year. But I think that if Rotomaker and I really think that if Rotomaker played, they would have dominated Louisville. Like Louisville was not on the same page as them. They were not even on the same level. They got their asses kicked defensively. And I think that Rotomaker was good enough to at least for them to put up 30-plus points on that that Louisville defense. I think if Rotomaker played and they kicked their ass, mm -hmm. this would have been, been a completely different conversation. I, I really think that Florida State would have gotten in, but because of the fact that he was unavailable, that's where the uncertainty lies. They don't know if that would have happened. They don't know if Brock Glenn was you know, just a slight downgrade from Rotomaker because he didn't play that well against Florida. It it all sucks. It just it, it sucks because they are the most deserving. But again, to this point, they don't want to have to deal with TCU. What happened last year, where they got completely waxed in what was supposed to be the most important game of the season. One thing I will say is, you look at Bama in years prior when they've had quarterbacks go down, and mm -hmm. they just plug and play, and they don't they don't you know bad nine. And you look at Texas. Let's just say. Quinn went down, and he did this year. Malik Murphy steps in, former four-star, five-star quarterback. What if he goes down? You have Arch. So if you want to combat this issue of having a crappy three-star, um, no no disrespect, but a guy who probably shouldn't see the field play in, in a playoff game, then recruit better. Because you know what? Some of these teams do that, and they're able to put guys on the field that are able to get results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think well, that's Malik Murphy, though. Yeah, like, yeah. Do we really see enough from him to think that, say, theoretically, Quinn Ewers was done for the season? I don't think Malik Murphy's like that great. He looked well, we would be in they trouble. Almost lost, they almost lost to Kansas State when Malik Murphy was the starting. Yeah, we, we'd be in trouble. I will say that. But I mean, at the end of the day, he was recruited as a four star, some had him as a five star, and we hung 33 points in the Kansas State game and 35 points in the BYU game. Yeah, it looked. He 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 had some real. He looked either really bad or really good. There was very few or far in between. Like it, it, it was a high discrepancy right there. But I gotta say, like if Quinn went down early, knock on wood, in that Oklahoma State game, and he got knocked out, and Malik Murphy came in and it was like a little shaky, and what we've seen in the past, and that game again was a little tighter. We were gonna lose Quinn for the rest of the season in the postseason. We would have been in trouble. We would have been in the same boat as FSU. They were. I'm not. They, we, we would not have been a lock to make the college football playoff, or as much of a lock as we were after that dominant win against Oklahoma State. After we beat Oklahoma State, it became Michigan, Washington, and Texas. 
uh, pretty much across the board in people's mm -hmm. eyes and in the media. They were lumping us in with those two undefeated conference champions as, okay, these guys have to make it. And then it was ultimately always going to come down to Bama or FSU, who's that four team. It was never going to be Georgia. It was never going to be Ohio State. They were always going to be on the outside looking in. Ditto with Oregon, obviously, who have two losses. So I, I, I think the injury, it just really what it comes down to. If Jordan Travis was healthy, it would, it would probably be FSU at three and Texas at four. You know, or maybe we who knows, and then, then it could have even gotten more chaotic because they and we would have seen this the head to head early on really matter. Which ultimately, I think, you know, seeing how the media felt about us after the Oklahoma State game, it, it was going to matter. Um, let's talk some transfers though, because one of our biggest rivals, Oklahoma, had Dylan Gabriel, he had a phenomenal season, uh, in Norman, uh, in his second go around there. Their offensive coordinator leaves, Levy leaves to be the head coach in Mississippi State, so maybe. That plays into it for Dylan Gabriel leaving. He's out. Kyle McCord leaving Ohio State. I think that has to come from the coaching staff telling him, look, like you're not guaranteed a starting spot as the Ohio State quarterback next year, which like you don't leave. Like even if you're losing your receivers, and I know he played high school ball with Marvin Harrison Jr., you don't leave the starting position at, at Ohio State. So maybe that plays into effect. Riley Leonard's available, probably going to uh, the team that you could kind of see on Joe's sweatshirt right there, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, what do you guys think, though, of this transfer portal so far? Where are these quarterbacks going to go? And do you guys like how chaotic and how fun this can be, or or is it too much? I kind of like the way that the – sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Nick, but no. the, I really like the the landscape of how this all turns out because five or so years ago before the transfer portal was a thing, we had a lot of really talented football players that either were starters and got stuck in bad offensive situations and didn't play to their true potential and – you know, we never really heard from them again. Or we have guys that sat on the bench behind guys and got stuck because so-and-so stayed for five years and we didn't get to see them play for a long period of time. I think that this new market that we have with the portal, specifically with quarterbacks, it's exciting. It adds a completely new layer to football where a team that doesn't have a settled quarterback situation or a new head coach coming in can immediately compete. I think that we're going to see that with a team like Michigan State. I think that Mississippi State, if they do get Dylan Gabriel, they are going to do some damage. And I also think that, like, for Oklahoma's sake, Jackson Arnold getting to play is going to be significant. Jackson Arnold's a very talented player, and that's probably why Dylan Gabriel decided to hop. He was either going to go to the draft or he was going to enter the transfer portal. But the McCord thing's the craziest part because they, they clearly basically told him, we're going to go get one of these top guys, and you're probably not going to be starting next year. I feel like they're going to go out and get Gabriel or or Cam Ward. Mm -hmm. Cam Ward from I Washington think it's State. Yeah, I mean, Cam Ward is, I think, in my opinion, probably the most talented of all the, all the guys inside the portal. I mean, yes, some of these guys have good seasons. There's also DJ Uangalele out there who's, you know, on, honestly kind of on the on the decline. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with it because at the end of the day, Texas have reaped, has reaped the benefits of this before. I mean, people forget that Quinn was a transfer. He was originally at Ohio State and transferred to us and then became our starter. But that's just kind of the landscape of college football now, and it's it's given it kind of more of a professional atmosphere and, and feel where you know these guys are chasing bucks now and not just you know going to a program where they they feel the most comfortable. I mean, Dylan Gabriel will be on his third team. Mm -hmm. DJ will be on his third team. You know, so at the end of the day, this is just kind of how it is now. It it makes it really interesting when you consider what just happened with the college football playoff committee selection, right? Because we're talking about Tate Rodemaker and Nick, you're talking about the lack of QB depth at Florida state in this current infrastructure. It's really, really difficult to keep 
quality QBs as your backup and as your third string, because there's going to, they have the possibility of seeing opportunities elsewhere. Um, I mean, guys that we didn't even mention who Josh, you were really high on Will Rogers coming into this season, right? We've got Will Howard from K state who played really good football against us when he was asked to throw the ball, Tyler Van Dyke, who had, you know, moments at, at Miami, like, there's a lot of these guys with given a different scenario, they might turn into a, a, you know, they're trying to get to the NFL. That's what they want to do. Right. And if they can give themselves a, a better opportunity to do that, then they're going to pursue it. So I, I think it becomes an even bigger challenge for coaches and universities to hold on to guys. Like if Malik stays with the Texas Longhorns, that's a big win for Sark. If Quinn stays, Quinn goes down next year. I mean, we have Arch as well, so we're in a little bit of a different scenario. But some universities don't have that level of depth, right? And the thing about the portal is it's like feasibly the the 20 teams that are going to be competing for the 12 playoff spots year in, year out won't have to change very much, in my opinion, because you're going to be able to grab some of the QBs from that are on the rise and slot them in. Oregon is losing their quarterback. Washington is losing their quarterback. They easily can replace those guys either with a backup or someone in their portal, Michigan as well, and, and be right back in the in the mix next year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I got Dante Moore also from UCLA sure. is one of the top recruits. Uh, he's in the portal. Both, I mean, both of the Utah backups who like had moments this year, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Noah Childs from Oregon State also is a freshman who's very talented. We didn't get to see him play, but he's a very good football Aiden player. Aiden Childs? Aiden Childs, I don't yeah. know Noah. Noah. Um, Shapin from Baylor as well, who who's, he showed flashes. Like, there's a lot yeah, of guys. Tyler Show, right? Yeah. I mean, he had to, he's Ma- Max Johnston, I, I guess. <laughs> These guys have been in the league forever. Grad transfer, grad transfer, grad transfer. I mean, uh, it's yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I like Cam Ward, I and mean, we can start kind of try to plug and play these guys. I think Will Rogers is going to uh, Washington, so he's going to probably take over for Michael Penix Jr., which Joe, great. Joe, I know you hate Will Rogers. You and I have debated in prior times about him. Um, but hey, I mean, look. I would argue that I've been the, I've been more right about Will Rogers than than, than you. Which I mean, his coach his coach died, so I, I think all right. Okay, you know, that's right, not you know, a legend. I'm just saying it. I mean, he was playing. Why he, he had good numbers under Leach. He did. He was really good was, under him. He was playing in a in a an air raid system that inflated his numbers a little bit, and then when he was asked to play in a you know a pro style under center, more ground and pound type scheme, he played poorly because he's not very adaptive. This is an air raid quarterback. Maybe he works at Washington. Maybe, you know, maybe that, that type of system works. I just, I don't know if he's got the arm, you know, I think that he just doesn't have that, the deep ball, uh, the juice on his ball, like Penix had. And some of these other guys have that are in the portal. He'll be fine. And I don't know what that situation is going to look like because all three of those receivers are going to be gone, but I mean, he's okay. He's got experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the interesting thing I want to bring up Malik, you know, just because from, from a horn standpoint, it's almost like a situation where, like, when we see in the NFL, right, like with the teams that go to the playoffs, sometimes their offensive and quarter, sometimes not always, it's been made the excuse in the past, their offensive coordinators and their defensive coordinators lose out on good head coaching jobs because they're still coaching and they can't really interview. Like Malik Murphy, like he can't really enter the transfer portal. He doesn't know. Look, if Quinn goes on a tear, if Quinn beats Penix out and beats Washington and he wins the national championship and he looks like he did against Oklahoma state. There's a really good chance Quinn Ewers is going to the NFL draft and he could be a first round pick. I have to say like, it's plausible. So Malik Murphy stays and he tries to compete for the Texas job. But if Quinn Ewers comes back and Malik Murphy doesn't enter the, enter the transfer portal until after the postseason, win or lose, then he could have lost out on some serious jobs. He could have lost out on some really good quarterback opportunities. 
The only difference, though, with what you're comparing this to the NFL, there's a lot of regulations and also penalties in place that if said offensive coordinator does communicate or or they obviously can interview for a job, but it's a lot harder for that to happen. Malik Murphy's just sitting on the bench right now and he's going through the motions in practice. It's not hard for him to respond to DMs, you know, and from loosely what I've heard, I haven't heard a lot, but loosely what I've heard, I think that there's a pretty strong chance that Malik Murphy is going to command uh, pretty good money and a pretty good opportunity in the portal. I don't think that he's going to get one of these massive, big power five offers, but a mid tier to low back end tier P five team is going to offer him like immediately. The first one that comes to mind, like a team like Indiana would be excited to get a guy like Malik Murphy. And they're expected to really uh, put a lot of money into NIL this year. If they want to be competitive under Kurt Signetti in their first year with him, and they, he has coached very similar style quarterbacks to Malik Murphy in their successful time as him being the head coach JMU. I, I, that's one to pay attention to. But I think that Malik Murphy, I, I would bet he's gone. Because what benefit does it have for him to stick around? Even if Quinn does go, more likely than not, even if Arch like isn't far and away better than him and it's really close, they're going to pick Arch no matter what. They, they mm. have too much to lose, potentially losing a guy that is the, the biggest marketing opportunity that Texas has, they would lose him. And they, they, they just can't do that. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you where do you think McCord goes? Who replaces Jaden Daniels? Just some quick hitters for you right there. Jaden Daniels is tough. It sounds like they really like Nussmeyer. It sounds like that there's a lot of confidence in Nussmeyer. I've heard some not so great things about Nussmeyer, just not in like a bad personality sense, but just concerns of if he like really truly uh, you know, grasps the offense and grasps understanding the, the game of football. Um, but sounds like they like Nussmeyer. Maybe they go for a back end guy in the portal. I, I think that McCord most likely, it, there's a lot of different options. I'd pay attention to Michigan State. I think that that's a really interesting one. Maybe Louisville is another one to pay attention to because uh, we saw how good that offense was. It's, it's an ability to start fresh in a completely different conference. But if he wants to continue to compete in the Big Ten and you know, maybe prove Ohio State wrong. Going to Michigan State might be a, a fun opportunity for him. Yeah. I want to quickly just throw something out there. Evan Stewart, obviously he's in the portal from AM. He was the top wide receiver in, was it the 2021 class? I think 2022. Because he was, was he with Walter Nolan, who's also in the portal from AM? I think that was yeah. like their big class, right? Yeah. And, so and I, Raymond Cottrell as well. So I think another wide receiver who was in the top 50. <laughs> they, he put out a, um, like an Instagram threads tweet, I guess out there where it said, I saw it coming freshman year when I didn't get paid a dollar from AM, but sliced bread had y'all thinking we were all millionaires or we was all millionaires. So my, I guess like confusion comes from like, where do these guys get these numbers, you know? And like, how do they keep these, programs honest and like okay you're gonna pay me this amount of money and who's to say they're just gonna pull the rug route right out from underneath them you know what i mean like there's really not a ton of guidelines or or uh i guess censorship on this right or structure i i think that one there's always a ton of invalid reporting when it comes to all this i i think that there are outside of those that come from like 247 sports and on three and, and i was on rivals. three to put that out there who put out the his the valuation? Well, no, no. On oh, three, yeah, yeah. oh, oh, got it. Yeah. Well, when I'm saying the invalid reporting, I think that a lot of times there's these numbers that are cast out there or projections of how much these guys are getting paid, and it, it, it there's it, it's so much lower than what the general public thinks 
because I think that there generally is a lot of guessing. And also at the same time, these NIL collectives, as you're talking about, there's no regulation. So they could lie and reach out to somebody who runs a Texas A&M blog and be like, we gave Evan Stewart, we offered him $2 million. And that looks good to them for other recruits that want to come play there, but they don't have to actually give him that money. And I, I think at the end of the day, the NCAA, which they won't do, eventually the United States government has to step in and provide some sort of regulation because it is fucked. It, it's really messed up. I'm sorry. I should ask if I could curse or not, but it's really, it's really it's messed late. up the handling of it. Um, <laughs> I forget who it was. I think it was Gervion on Dexter. It happened at the beginning of the year. He was some instance happened with him. It was a former Florida player that the uh, collective and the deal that he signed, he didn't even know guaranteed the collective, uh, a portion of his NFL contract. So there are a lot of predatory Whoa. things that are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go look this up. It's, it's a serious, it's a religious story. Um, there are a lot of predatory things going on right now with NIL that really need to be reeled in and held in check. I, I do believe that guys like Arch, and guys like Cam Ward are actually getting these offers and they do end up getting the money. And I, we know that there are legit ones like yeah. Sam Hartman and Jane Daniels doing the beach no deals. Like those are real, but the there thing, are definitely guys getting screwed. The thing with like Evan Stewart though, is like you're the top receiver in the class, right? You're a five-star. You would command probably a mill, you know, yeah. at a program like USC. You know, I imagine Texas probably gives you a big offer. Ohio State, like these, these programs that for sure shell out money, and you're going to AM and what sounds like is he didn't get paid anything. Well, they they're right. com they've completely collapsed. So Walter Nolan, who I just mentioned in that class you're talking about, Nick and Toss, with uh, the other receiver you threw out there, he was the number two player overall. And he's he came in, he's not even a Texas guy. He came from Tennessee. So like that's going to be really interesting to see where he goes. You have guys like Julian Fleming, who was a top recruit in the Ohio State class. He's a, he's in the portal. Um, I think it's Dion Burks, the kid from Purdue, right? The receiver. He, he he's yeah, very dynamic. good football player. Okay. Relique. Relique Brown, right? Who was at USC. USD. Yeah, he, he did not see the field at all, and he, he's good. And then there was uh, Juice Wells, who we discussed previously from South Carolina. It's South officially Carolina. available, yeah. and he's looking like he can come to us. It's, it's pretty interesting. Joe, before you rock and roll, we have to ask you. You are the supposed draft expert in Marina Del Rey, word on the street. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> okay, the, the, the top of the order. I, I hear right. murmurs of that on my walks every morning. I <laughs> at, the, at the flea market. Did you see Joe DeLeon's Did you see his mock draft? Did you see it? Yeah. Um, I believe it. Right now, how it is, Bears, they have the Thurs pick, so they're picking first overall. My New yep. England Patriots are second. The Arizona Cardinals with a win yesterday moved back to third. The Commanders can't block the red side of a barn. They're fourth, and they couldn't stop a nosebleed now. Uh, the Bears with their own pick are fifth. The New York Jets are sixth, followed by the other New York team, the Giants. Joe, that's your team. You're number seven. The Tennessee Titans lost in overtime. They're number eight. The Aints are nine, and the Bucks are ten. That's just the top ten. Uh, how, how do you really, in a, in a quick gut check, how do you see this breaking down, Joe, from what it stands right I, now? I did this last year, and I'm going to do it again with the Chicago Bears. I really don't think that it makes a lot of sense for them to pick a quarterback first overall. I understand that there's a lot of talent with the top two guys in the class, Drake May, Caleb Williams. There's still question marks with those guys. They're not like golden, perfect, un you know, they're going to be guaranteed surefire all pro players. Yeah, they're going to be really good. And Caleb Williams is a really high ceiling. I just think that with what we're seeing with some of these teams, particularly, I look at what's happening with the Carolina Panthers right now. The Carolina Panthers situation is bad. You have Bryce Young, a rookie on a team with nobody to throw the football to 
nobody to block for him, and no defense. Of course, he's struggling. And I look at Justin Fields right now, who's shown us a lot of positive signs, but he keeps getting banged up, and he also has one really good receiver. He's got no running backs. He's got one really good offensive lineman or two really good offensive linemen. This Bears roster is very incomplete, and I think that the fact that they already have a, a top 10 pick, the ability to trade that first overall pick to somebody, and you could mortgage out somebody's future for Caleb Williams and sell that vision to somebody to trade up to that first spot, and you can really build a complete roster. We, we see teams that have done this in the past, and I think it's accomplishable but outside of that, I, I really think that in terms of who's going to get picked in the top 10, there's going to be, I, I see three or four quarterbacks going somewhere in there. I even think that there's going to be three or four offensive tackles that are going to go in there. Uh, and then you outside names, of that, sweetheart. Um, <laughs> I think Jane Daniels has played himself in a position to be a top 10 pick. I Love think it. that Bo Nix is going to be in the convo. Michael Penix's injury history is probably going to push him way back. Uh, in terms of the tackles, Talise Fuaga from Oregon State, Joe Alt from Notre Dame, Olu Fashanu um, from Penn State are just to name a few that are going to be in that discussion. And then in terms of the receivers, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a first-round top-10 pick without a doubt. And Brock Bowers could be in that convo as well. I, I don't think there's, there might not be a defensive player until pick 11. You, know, you see McKinstry kind of falling out of that top-10 where the early projections had him sometimes even top-5. Dallas Turner, too. Yep. He, they've uh, I'm not really totally in on Dallas Turner. I think Dallas Turner is fine. I think he's a first round pick, but I don't think he's like Will Anderson level. You know, like I wouldn't spend a high pick on him, but McKinstry is really good. He's he's one of the top corners. Him and Nate Wiggins are going to be in that in that battle. But I just think that there's going to be this huge aggressive push because look at how many teams in the NFL right now don't have a, an answer at quarterback. Mm -hmm, there's yeah. a lot of teams that are in a, in a, in a really messy spot that are going to probably try to trade up, and the other teams are going to take advantage of the offensive tackles. <clears throat> what do you think about the other receivers, like Neighbors, Rome, like Keon Coleman, honestly? Keon Coleman gets hurt. I think this is a really – this is this is frustrating, honestly, from, from, a Florida state, from a Florida State standpoint. Aside from not being able to play, you have guys like Johnny Wilson who's playing for his draft slot. Keon Coleman's playing for his draft slot. Jared Verse, like these guys that we mentioned, they're playing for their draft slot. So where do these other receivers fall, you think? Keon Coleman right now is my second receiver, and I think that he's going to firmly stay there. He he's gives set. me a lot, a lot of shades of Drake London and why he went as early as he did. And I think that Drake London still, you know, the, there's a lot of room for him to continue to be a good player. Uh, but just a great jump ball guy, great route runner. His vertical speed is just fantastic for a player of his uh, of his size. Neighbors is nice, but inconsistencies with his hands. He does give us those. You know those OBJ vibes, which is an easy comp because they both come from come from LSU. Uh, Mecca Abuka is somebody to also pay attention to in the first round who had a little bit of a, a quiet year, still putting up some pretty good numbers. And then you brought up Roma Dunze. I think that he has played himself into being a first rounder. His impact has been tremendous. Another player who big body, sure hands, fantastic vertical threat. I've compared him. He's like a better version of Darius Slayton for me. Mm. And like what Darius Slayton could have been if he took that next step, just really tall, strong, linear threat that's got really good hands. I think he could take the top off of a defense. It could be a serious problem in the NFL. And there's even a number of other guys that are going to be in this conversation for the receivers, like Xavier Leggett, somebody to pay attention to. Yeah, there could amazing. be a ridiculous run of receivers that go in the first round. Nice. Yeah. Not really? to mention, do you do you think that either one of the two Longhorn receivers will end up being first round picks? I'm a little worried about 
Xavier Worthy's frame and him sure. getting hurt in the Big 12 championship game, you know, contributes contributes to that. His hands are also a little inconsistent, which is not great for uh, a smaller receiver to see something like that. Donnie Mitchell, though, has definitely played himself into that back end of the first round conversation because he had some flashes. He's in an offense where he can really step up and produce this year, and he did that. He's a great vertical threat, very explosive player. So, yeah, I think both those guys are in the mix somewhere in that 20 to pick 40 range. Yeah, and we'll yeah. let you rock before to go back to whatever BS work you allegedly have to do. But we have to ask about our other Longhorns because we do. I mean, look, man, we have a lot of guys that can get drafted. Like Tavondre Sweat, yeah. where, where does we, I mean, maybe a little biased, but we really think he's a first-round pick. I don't think he's a first-round pick. Why? Just simply for the reason, because he's a two-down player. You know, he's not, of course he's physically going to, to dominate against these big 12 offensive linemen, but he's not somebody that I can keep on the field on third downs. And look, to be completely honest, and I've gotten flack for this for some reason, there's this one guy who listens to Rufino and Joe, and every show that Texas does something, he goes back and references that I said that Devondre Sweat, I said he was soft at the beginning of the year, and I don't think he's soft anymore, but he is, <laughs> he's got very low stamina. He, he, he walks a lot on the field, and I don't like that from a defensive tackle that's as big as he is. He's a day two player. He's going to be a really good run stopping defensive lineman, but I just, you know, I can't really buy into the whole first round hype for a defensive tackle when I don't know if he's going to be a three down guy. But uh, Jatavian Sanders might be the second tight end in the class. I, I love Jatavian Sanders. I love Jalen Ford, a really athletic, instinctive linebacker who really took that next step. Who else am I missing here, man? Byron so Murphy. Freaking... Byron Murphy, I haven't, admittedly haven't like really truly watched. Um, he's somebody I need to watch, and I think he's, he's probably going to be a top top fifty pick because he's a he had a really good year. Yeah. All right, how many um, Longhorns are going in the first round? Over under right now. Two. I think Quinn has. Do you think Quinn has a last bit? But do you think Quinn has a chance? Like, am I? Is, you because know, we didn't really touch on that. I kind of just like pushed. Yeah. Through it. I think he should declare. I, I really think that he should because I think next year there's going to be this huge push for Carson Beck to be the first quarterback. I think that the thing with Quinn here is that there's a lot of uncertainty who, after Jane Daniels, who the fourth and fifth guys are. I, I think that Bo Nix is a little bit of smoke and mirrors because his production and his performance and his accuracy is very inflated by the fact that he's throwing a lot of short to intermediate routes. And we saw against Washington the first time he was asked and told, hey, you have to actually complete difficult throws if you want to beat us. And, and he kind of shit the bed he, he didn't play up to the, the the expectation that we thought of this Heisman Trophy capable quarterback so I'm a little worried that he can't you know play outside of that he's kind of like Kenny Pickett in a way where his numbers look great he played in an offense that set him up to succeed with that in mind Qu Quinn should declare Qu Quinn has the traits to be a starting quarterback in the NFL if Jordan Love could go where he did get the two years to sit and then eventually take over I don't see why that can't happen for Quinn Ewers say with the Minnesota Vikings. I, three, I think that didn't he, he said three years. Jordan Love, sorry to stack correct you on the fly. Three years, sorry. Yeah. No, you're correct. That was my I misspoke. But we could have something like that happen with with the Minnesota Vikings because it's not yet time to move on from Kirk Cousins. You get Kirk Cousins for a few more years, and then you just let Quinn Ewers really settle into becoming an NFL quarterback. He's got a lot of similarities, to Jordan Love, and I think he could be that type of a player. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think we talked about it on our Texas show that if he balls out in the college football playoff and he's got maybe two more games left, then his draft stock increases tremendously. And so he might work his way up maybe to the third quarterback taken.
Yeah, I mean, I think all four of the quarterbacks remaining in the CFP semis have a lot to prove, and obviously Milrow won't go until next year. But just, I mean, McCarthy, right? Like for a while, he was the third guy. No, but but what he you're, does, you're right. He, but he's 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 not good. He stinks. <laughs> I agree, I agree, but I think there's also like a, a major defense for him. And like, I'm not big. I'd much rather have Jane Daniels than McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. But the the offense that they run is not really indicative of how. Of, of what McCarthy can be in a pro style offense, right? Like they're a ground and pound team. They like to run the football up the gut. They don't, they don't test McCarthy's arm very much in, in that offense. Yeah. And, and that's, but they're going to have to, if they want to beat Alabama, they're going to have to do something different. I, I completely agree with you on Bo Nix. Like that's what I was looking for. I was like, okay, right. the air yards per attempt is really low. What's he going to do against this Washington team where he's going to be forced to throw deep down the field. And he struggled. He really struggled. And so those are those are like the things that we don't get to see until they play the best competition in college. And, and we don't get enough of a sample size out of it to no. really know, but it's, it's interesting. Onyx is playing. I think I see both of y'all's points. Yeah. He's such a stat padding MF or man, but gets Liberty. <laughs> he, like he's not going to throw six touchdowns in the first half against Liberty. Liberty's the worst still, team to ever get a, a, a New Year's six ball, by the way, they should not be playing in that game. Sure. I'm not disagreeing with you. It could be a slaughter, but I think to both of y'all's points, like, he clearly didn't pass either of your eye tests. I think me and Nick are in the same boat here. So yeah. I think he has to come back and he still has to play this game because, again, we're talking about Quinn Ewers being able to jump him. Jaden Daniels, his bet is made. Michael Penix Jr. has a chance to solidify himself ahead of Bo Nix. Bo Nix doesn't have a choice. He has to go in and play for his future. It's not locked and loaded yet. Like He could be a top 10 pick or he could be Will Levis 2.0 and fall out of the first round entirely. Well, Will Levis slid because apparently he was a complete dick in all the the interviews that he had with these teams. <laughs> that was what the rumor was, and I, I heard it from a couple of different people that he was just way too intense. And I mean, we literally saw it yesterday. There's a video of him screaming at DeAndre Hopkins now. Like, there's proof that this guy is a little bit unhinged. Uh, but I think Bo Nix is a little different. I, I think the comparison to Kenny Pickett's a very it's a very comparable one because Pickett played in a similar offense where at Pitt, wasn't really asked to stretch the ball down the field, had a very good receiver that he was able to rely on that boosted his production, and now he's in the NFL, and he's kind of hampered by the fact that he doesn't have the arm talent to really stress stress mm -hmm. defenses down the field. But to talk about J.J. McCarthy just a tiny bit, I get what you're saying, Toss, and they're not in an offense where he's going to really be asked to, to be aggressive and, and show a, a, a variation of different throws, NFL-level throws. My problem with him, though, is the decision making's just not there? I don't see a guy that is reactive, decisive, uh, aggressive. I see a lot of mistakes, and I see that the, like the three picks that he threw against Bowling Green, when he's asked to like be a quarterback, that's what he's going to do. I, I just yeah. he's got an arm, he's got a good arm, but not reliable. Yeah, I mean we we all know, just people. He's huge, right? He's like he's a specimen. So so He'll people get fall in love with that. that, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Though. I don't. I don't think he's even in the same ballpark as as the rest no, of the, the top no. three guys. No, no. And, I, and I know. And I know you said Caleb has faults, but I mean, having watched him close up and personal, I think. And I said this to the other guys. I think he accomplished so much as an individual last year, and all he really had to do for this season was to come back and win a national championship. And once that was out of his reach, and once he couldn't do that, pretty much after he lost to Notre Dame. 
it gave it's just like similarities with Johnny, not as bad as Johnny Manziel or Jameis Winston. But when you go and you're a world beater, like you know, as an underclassman, and you come back as an upperclassman, you can't go to the NFL and you just have to chill and you've outgrown campus. I think he ran into that. I think he outgrew USC. I think he outgrew college. Everything he was doing in his day-to-day life. Like, yes, a lot of these players with NIL, it's very different now, but no one experienced what he experienced. He has had the biggest NIL experience so far to date. He's in the Heisman house with everybody, still as a collegiate athlete with all these NFL players, NFL legends. His deals are ridiculous. He's courtside at the Lakers. Like, he's getting the full USC treatment without USC even being good. So I, I think I, that he outgrew the Trojans a little bit, and I think yeah. that hurt the way people viewed him in his character. But from a talent standpoint, the guy absolutely, other than maybe the Notre Dame game where he settled in eventually, the guy comes in and is a, and is a human highlight reel every, every weekend. I think that he is far more talented than what you're talking about there. Like with J- Jamison and Johnny Manziel are going to be examples that come up where guys that won the Heisman as underclassmen and then just – you know, we're really chaotic on and off the field at times. I think, though, the deal with with Caleb, there's a couple of things that concern me. I, some stuff that I've heard off the field that I can't really speak on that are a little sketchy that I think are, are not like he did anything illegal or inappropriate, but the way that he's handling some of these interactions with some of these teams, I think are going to rub some of the teams the wrong way, which could inevitably lead the Chicago Bears to say, you know, we don't want to take this chance. The other part of it, though, what really does scare me I need to know that he's going to be willing to play within the structure of an NFL offense. Like I need to know that there is a commitment to learn the game, play in the pocket. Patrick Mahomes gets, they get this comparison to one another all the time. Patrick Mahomes freestyled for the first couple of years of his career. And then now he is starting to realize and understand how to play the pro game. And we're seeing a more maturation and more of a progression from him. And he's going to be able to play a sustainable long-term game by doing that. I need to know that Caleb's willing to do that because the freelancing bullshit, it works. It's fine in in certain spots when things crumble and fall apart on the field, but you can't show up and do that every single play. And it felt like he was doing that at USC the past year and a half. It's also the interesting thing about that too, is you build habits, right? Every single time you take a snap, you're building a new habit. So he has to build the habit of being on script. And I, I think that he has between the ears, the right stuff to get him in that zone. I think he's just that talented, but I can see where the the hesitancies would be for sure. Cause that's not something that he's just going to have overnight. Like it has to be built just like Mahomes. Mahomes had to sit, you know, Mahomes had yeah. to sit yeah. and learn Reed's offense and, and watch sat. Alex Smith, who was, uh, you know, he, he's a game manager, right? Which I mean, that as a compliment, not as a disservice to him. Like those were the things that Mahomes didn't have at tech that he had to learn yeah. how to do. So I, well, Alex I'm, Smith got I'm a with, fat contract from, from Washington when he left. Like it wasn't like right. his career was over. Like he just they right. had to move on to Mahomes. I think, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. And, you know, I will say on the improv- improvisation part, like he's not going to have the same amount of time to dance around and, and spin around and, and whirl around in the pocket in the NFL, not even close. Like he was able to do that in the Pac-12 against some suspect defenses where he can make some Marvel plays behind the line of scrimmage. But he's really going to have to kind of sit in there. Like, and, you know, like honestly, you know, who sat in there really well yesterday? Brock Purdy sat in there balls of steel yesterday and delivered in the pocket. And that was a really good example of what it takes to be a true NFL quarterback, not like these Kyler Murray dance around, run around. And it's fun. It's exciting, but this isn't Madden and it's not going to work every time. So I'm not comparing the two of them. Like, I don't think that Caleb Williams is anything like Johnny Manziel, but yesterday I was listening to a clip of Merrill Hodge talking about Johnny Manziel. And I thought it was like really interesting. And it (laughs) should be brought up with Yeah. You you know, the clip I'm talking about where he's basically saying, he's basically saying the one of the, the the excerpt that I think of immediately is 
him saying that these NFL offensive linemen who are grown men in their 30s with families and all these big contracts on the line, if they are blocking their asses off for five seconds and then they realize the ball still hasn't been thrown yet and they get a holding penalty or uh, the, a sack ends up going up against them, this isn't college where, you know, you roll back into the huddle. It's your boys that you drink with and hang out with on the weekends. Like, sorry, guys, like blah, blah, blah. Those dudes are going to get pissed at you. Those guys are going to get really mad at you after a while of like, I can't block for you for 15 seconds. You need to get the ball out quicker. I think that there's also, also inevitably um, a, a deterioration in the relationships that he can build with his teammates. No one calls it better than Merrill Hodge. I mean, he literally, the Jadavian Clowney, Khalil Mack call. It's yeah. probably the low-key greatest draft call of all time. Dude dude was unceremoniously removed from ESPN. That that guy should still be there. One of the best analysts that was out there. The, the, the Jadavian, him saying that they should take Khalil Mack over Jadavian Clowney and it's not even close was such a fantastic, and he could not have been more right. How many teams has Clowney played? He's on a new team every year. I know yeah, this is Khalil Mack's like fourth team. Yeah, I know this is Khalil Mack's third team, but he's – I mean, Nick, you could say this better. But it's all been trades. It's not like it's been like free agency we don't want anymore. It's been like, we want Khalil Mack. We're going to give you first-round draft picks for him. And now he might be a defensive player of the year this year. He's been insane for the Chargers. He's been the only really good spot, honestly, in in what was the toilet bowl of toilet bowls (laughs) between our teams. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. You are not a legend yet, but you are well on the way in the makings of becoming one. (laughs) Fisher, Tosopolis, DJ, (laughs) Nikki, Snack Trader. It's it's so funny just quickly looking at all of us. Joe's got like this like retro Notre Dame like crew neck on. Nick, I think you're rocking Tampa Bay Buccaneers. (laughs) I got a Boston Celtics hat. Taz has his Rangers like, you know, three-quarter zip or quarter zip. It's just really funny seeing like all the sports gear and like all the mm. memorabilia. Like we always have just like honor around us. Uh, uh, wait, wait, how much of this stuff can you recognize from the office? By the way, that's in my backdrop. Uh, <laughs> the entire black uh, cabinet. The, the, no, those are my. I bought those. Those are. Those you are thought mine. I took a I cabinet didn't, on. I, how was I going to get that in my car? My car's tiny. I, there was no way I was getting. But I most of the random like tidbits and pieces of shit that like we <laughs> that were just sitting around in the office. I stole most. <laughs> stole it looks most good. Things. You did a good job. I, I, I still got to fill it in a little more. You didn't steal the Phillies hat. You've had that for a while. That one I know. Yeah, sadly. The woman sadly. who decorated that office originally would have been proud of you. She would have thought. Uh, it. <laughs> it's a great final shout out. And obviously shout out Hillary Jones Photography. We'll see you guys next time. Fisher, Disopolis, DJ, uh, Nikki Snacks, Crider, and the Joe DeLeon joining us uh, from Rafino and Joe and his silly little FCS show. So h- hook right. him horns. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Disney. Hit your free throws. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Joseph. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.